So the scripture reading today is from, uh, for the second week in a row, from Psalm 37. As I mentioned last week, we're going to spend four weeks in this psalm, uh, Psalm 37, and I would encourage you to read it on your own at home. Whatever version you have, it may not line up exactly how this is, but uh, read through it regularly, maybe every day, maybe twice a day. And we can actually pray the psalms. We can take these words and turn them into our own words as part of what we do in Lectio Divina. So last week we talked about the importance of taking delight in the Lord, making that be our primary aim, our primary goal in this Christian walk. And today we're going to read a little bit more about how we, should, how we can go about doing that. Today's text is Psalm 37, verses 7 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. David says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for He sees that their day is coming. The wicked draw their sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to kill those who walk uprightly. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is a little that a righteous person has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, blameless, and their heritage will abide forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they will have abundance. But the wicked perish, and the enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the green pastures. They vanish like smoke. They will vanish away. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I remember in 2004, looking out the window of my dorm room uh, at Crookston, University of Minnesota, Crookston. And as I looked out, I saw this beautiful uh, black Dodge Dakota, brand new. And I said, I want that. <laughs> when I'm done with school, that's exactly the kind of vehicle I'm going to get. A black Dodge Dakota, brand new. I can't wait. And then slowly I realized, whoa, I just got here to Crookston. <laughs> I'm going to be here at least two more years. It's probably going to be five or six years before I can ever drive a vehicle like that. So quickly, that sort of delight feeling of, ooh, I want that, turned into regret for the choices I had made that led me to that place. I had failed out of school. I'd made really bad choices, and now I was starting over. I had a lot of envy then at that point as well because I had friends who were good students and were actually literally graduating, a guy I grew up with, as I was transferring to Crookston to start all over again. (laughs) 
And at times, I really struggled with that. He owned a house. He had a car. He was living it. Any kind of life that he wanted to live, he could do just about anything. And that really kind of uh, kept me from being the best kind of student and enjoying that experience to the, the best of my ability there at Crookston. Maybe you can't relate to those specifics, okay? I know that not all of you uh, went to college or you certainly didn't fail out of college like me, but have, have you ever felt like someone else like someone else had something that you wanted. Have you ever? Someone else has something that you wanted. Maybe you wanted badly. That's envy. If we allow that to sink into our heart and we become kind of jealous or wondering why they get it and we don't, that's envy. Or the, the best possible scenario for that of saying, I want what they have is just comparison. That's the dangerous trap of the internet right now is it just continually keeps us looking outward to what other people have or or what they're doing in their life. It can lead to feelings of, I don't have enough. Right now, I don't have enough to experience life to its fullness. And if you have that feeling, at least this has been my experience, if you have that feeling of, I don't have enough, it only makes that feeling worse. (laughs) It only makes you strive more and pay more attention to what other people have. Or you look at their life and you say, why is it working for them and not for me? Why did I work so hard in my life and they're well-liked and everybody thinks I'm mean? I learned how to work hard in my life. Why did things turn out so well for them? Envy, jealousy, comparison are just one element, one perspective of focusing on other people's lives and behavior. It's more of an internal dynamic. You notice this? We all feel these things. It's a natural reaction when we observe the life of somebody else around us. But the question that will determine the quality of our life, especially our spiritual life, is how long do we pay attention to those feelings within us? How long do we let them brew in our hearts? How long do we fix our eyes on the other people rather than on Jesus? That's the question we need to ask. So fast forward six years, okay, from the Dodge Dakota moment. Miraculously, I graduated. I figured it out. and I had a successful golf course uh, industry career. And I met Jesus in Lake City. Now, the challenge was understanding how to commit my life to the Lord. How to learn how to trust in Jesus for the long term. Doing what God says and waiting for God to act just like the Scriptures promise. You know, turn your heart to the Lord. Commit your way to Him and He will act. And then you wait for him uh, for the long-term outcome. The hardest part for me, and still is to this day, is that other people in my life at the time did not live that way. They did not care one bit whatsoever about following Jesus. And actually, the people that I was closest to were resistant to my wanting to follow Jesus. Because if you change, if you become more intentional about your walk with the Lord, then other people might feel a little bit convicted about the choices that they're making in their life. Or they might see you changing and say, well, what do you mean you're not going to fulfill my needs in the same way that you've always done? What do you mean you're not going to do anything that I want and let me have control of your life, even inadvertently? So that was really difficult for me. Because those same people didn't affirm my choices to follow Jesus. Which slowed, honestly, slowed my willingness to give my whole heart to Jesus and allow Him to transform my life. 
Friends, how many of us hesitate in our pursuit of Christ because we aren't sure what others are going to think? Your friends, maybe your siblings, maybe your spouse don't get why you love the Lord and want to delight in Him. And it keeps us, sadly, from trusting Jesus, committing to Him. And what does that result in? Well, it steals our peace. Steals our joy. As Jesus says, uh, those who want to pursue the kingdom of heaven can't have one hand on the plow. You're sort of, one, wait, one hand on the plow and one looking back like this. See, you're not actually fully committing to the life that Jesus wants for you. And as a result, we don't experience the fullness of peace that Jesus offers us. So this perspective of worrying about if others will understand or appreciate our choices, this is fret. This is worry. This is another perspective of focusing on other people's behavior, choices, attitudes, and beliefs. I don't know. Is that a struggle for anybody here? Is that hard for you? It's very hard for me. And here's the danger that David describes in this psalm. Did you pick up on the danger of this? Fret, worry, envy, focusing on other people's behavior more than your own leads to what? Evil. He says it plain as day. These things lead to evil. Let me read it again. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Interestingly, if you look up the Hebrew word here for fret, it's the same word from the Cain and Abel text. The Lord says, why are you so angry? Fret could also be translated to angry. Why are you so angry? Why are you so jealous? Why are you so consumed with the behavior of somebody else? Or they're standing. Why do you care about that? And we know that, well, if you've read the Bible or know that story of Cain and Abel, we know that Cain does not uh, follow the Lord's advice. And he kills his brother. And it changed the whole rest of the outcome of human history. I think we could agree with David, at least from that sample, right? (laughs) That it leads to evil. But you might say, well, well, that sounds a little bit much for today's world, uh, Pastor Chad, and we're good people, right? I, I would affirm that. We're good people. But instead, think of wrongdoers and wicked. If you substitute that out, don't think of it as wrongdoers and wicked. I don't know anybody personally that I would say, they're a wicked person. You know? Think of just those terms as people who live differently than you do. People who live differently than you. If you are overly concerned with their choices, what starts to happen? First of all, judgment, uh, gossip, slander. This is a small town, I don't need to tell you. Rumors. (laughs) Friends, uh, that's hypocrisy. If we really are serious about what Jesus says and the way that Jesus wants us to live and actually throughout the whole Old Testament of loving your neighbor as yourself, loving even your enemies, and we commit to these kind of behaviors, judgment, gossip, slander, rumors. I mean, there's many more. We could look in Galatians 5 and find more. Those are, those are hip, hip, hypocritical behaviors, and I would say it leads us into evil. Or how about just on the inside? if we're comparing to other people, you're questioning your commitment, hesitating to give your heart to Jesus, wondering, is this really worth it? If other people aren't going to do it, if the church isn't going to be full, if people aren't going to celebrate the fact that I'm doing so much good and they're benefiting from it, should I really be giving this much? 
Hmm. Well, if we hesitate to give our hearts to Jesus, then we're not receiving the peace and spiritual abundance that Christ wants for you. That sounds like evil too, doesn't it? Make you doubt your belovedness in God's eyes? Make you question if it's worth it to prioritize Jesus in your life? You say, nah, that's not worth it. Sounds like a pretty good strategy by the enemy to make you wonder if you should continue to give more of your heart to God. So David cautions God's people to have a narrow focus. Jesus calls it the narrow path, the narrow road that leads to life with him. A narrow focus to focus our attention on, number one, our faithfulness. Be super intentional about that. Our faithfulness, our trust, our commitment to Jesus. Look inward, but also when we look outward, look upon Jesus. Focus on his goodness. Focus on his faithfulness towards us. Accept the delight that he has for us. And focus on the eternal reign of Jesus. So David assures us that when we have a narrow focus, when we trust in God and delight in him, David assures us, it's not like we're taking a passive-aggressive approach to life, that hoping that things will work out while secretly being really mad and annoyed of things. He says, no, the Lord will act. He knows what's going on. He's the judge, not us. The Lord will act. He will give you the deepest desires of your heart, not the surface-level desires, not the things that we see, not the Dodge Dakota, or being liked, or being successful even in our, our careers. God will give you the deepest desires of your heart. And he will make your way shine like the sun. They are not put to shame, David says, in the days of famine and hardship. And they will have spiritual abundance. Does anybody want to have spiritual abundance in days of hardship? It feels like days of hardship, right? So we don't have to envision this world of David. We can say right now, in the world that we live in, spiritual abundance an abundance of peace and joy are possible. But we can't focus our minds and hearts on other people. David says, wrongdoers, don't worry about them. They won't last forever. Time will tell the story of their chosen investments with their time. Their power will be gone. Their supposed abundance will be gone. It will vanish. But in Christ, those who follow Him on the narrow road will have peace a spiritual abundance, a heritage that abides forever with Christ because we kept our eyes, the eyes of our heart on Him. We kept the eyes of our heart on Him. David says, but the meek, the meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. I wanted to look up, what does meek mean really? Because we hear that word a lot, it's in the Beatitudes. What does meek mean? I found uh, it means people who, could, who uh, live with calmness and contentment, trust and moral commitment, quiet patience, confidence in the outcome of their choices in life. Those who are, not, who are at the bottom of life's heap but face their situation calmly because they know that they are under the sovereign hand and the eternal hand of the Lord. Those are the meek. And so Jesus then echoes what David says. He says in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for 
they shall inherit the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later in John chapter 10, we read Jesus refer to himself. He says, The thief comes only to kill and destroy, to steal our joy, to steal our peace, to say that we don't have enough or that we shouldn't give our all to Jesus. He says, I came that they may have life. Pay attention to this word and have it abundantly. Mm -hmm. Friends, the biblical narrative is abundantly clear that the peace that surpasses understanding is found in our identity with Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. A peace with God that is available to us no matter what anyone else is doing. No matter what anyone else has. No matter what anyone else thinks of us. In Christ we receive a spiritual abundance no matter what is happening in our country. No matter what's happening in Ukraine or in the stock market or with the planet. In Christ we receive spiritual abundance. And that's because everything and everyone that we see will vanish. Not just the wicked, friends. But we in Christ will live with Him for eternity. Eternal abundance that begins right now. So David brings us back to the here and now. He says, don't fret. Don't envy. Don't be controlled by your anger. Don't just react in life. It only leads to evil and steals your peace and joy. But instead, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Trust in Him. Delight in Him. Commit your way to Him. So that's where we need to be practical, right? First, we need to uh, gain clarity about our current values, choices, attitudes, and behaviors. For the younger folks in this congregation today or watching online, I would say it starts with your calendar. You can tell a lot about your values by what's in your calendar, where your time goes. But also your attitudes and your behaviors. You know, we can be super busy but still try and keep our minds fixed upon Jesus. My goal is to read the Bible every single morning, but when Baylor wakes up throwing up in the middle of the night, <laughs> it's a little bit hard. <laughs> like, okay, I could take it a little bit easier on the, the parents. <laughs> And, and everyone, like life gets busy. So if we make it just about doing all the right things, we can quickly start to shame ourselves. But instead, we can say, no, my goal is to delight in the Lord. And I can do that anytime, anywhere. I could do that if I'm in prison without a Bible. And I'm being tortured, which is, that's the historical witness of the church. Right? We don't need to come to worship to delight in the Lord, but it helps. We don't even need to read Scripture to delight in the Lord, but boy, it helps. If I'm watching Netflix more than I'm reading the Bible, it's really hard to delight in the Lord and commit my full uh, heart to Him. So clarify, what brings you joy? What brings you the most amount of joy in your life? Probably things like family, but what else? Does the Lord bring you joy in your, in your life? 
Focus on, you know, hopefully it's Jesus, but focus more on uh, identifying what brings you joy and working more towards that. And catch yourself. How much do I think about others? And more importantly, catch yourself in saying, how much do I talk about others? If I get together with people that I say are friends or family and I am talking more about other people than I'm talking about my experience, this is what's going on in my life, that's a warning sign, just saying. We can easily go from just sharing out of concern and wanting to support that person to gossiping about them or having some sort of judgment in our heart as we spend time together. But don't judge yourself in those moments either. That's not very helpful. But instead, let these moments become times where we can still our hearts before the Lord and turn our focus and our hearts back towards Jesus of saying, oh, I don't need to be talking about Deb. You know, her choices are her responsibility. I don't need to question why she didn't come to church yesterday. (laughs) I'm sorry, Jesus. You know, let's get back to delighting with one another. Lastly, uh, support others in pursuit of Jesus through small group and spiritual friendship. This is probably the most important. Right, Todd? As we uh, gather together with others as well, Larry, pick on you guys, Doug, as we gather together on Tuesday mornings at 5.30 a.m. reading the Bible, we're fixing our hearts and minds on Jesus and we're encouraging one another to do that. Now, if we go through the rest of the week and maybe uh, having a difficult time at work or in our families or we're questioning our faith, we remember, well, no, we were supported in that uh, lifestyle with one another. You see, we can't really delight in the Lord without also delighting and being with one another, pursuing Christ together. Our modern eyes tend to be on what's the road to success? Our modern eyes are what does it take to have a good reputation in town? to be known and liked. Our modern eyes uh, tell us to keep up with other people, to compare and judge our well-being based upon how good somebody else's parents or how much stuff they have or how nice their house is. Or our modern eyes tend to be on politics. No chance for delight there, friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's just no chance for delight. Instead, we can delight in Jesus. We can commit our path to Him. We can trust in Him and wait for the eternal rewards that come. They do come in time. Sometimes we want to see the results of that within a year. In my case, it was 10 years before I started to see the fruit of my commitment to Christ. I became a good student at Crookston when I let go of the comparison of my successful friends. It was hard, especially when I'd go spend time with them. And I focused on what I needed to do Day to day, what do I need to do to not only be successful, but to enjoy this experience? That's what actually made it even better is when I started to delight in the process. I grew in huge strides in Lake City when I let go of other people's resistance to Jesus. I said, that's not my business. And I allowed Him to shape my heart and life. And I find myself in a time of going even deeper yet as I just let go of the choices of others instead get super clear about what's motivating my heart, what's bringing joy to my heart, and say, Lord Jesus, would you uh, fill me with your goodness and grace? Help me to have compassion towards myself. Friends, we can experience spiritual abundance, even now, 
even tomorrow, even five years from now, no matter how things turn out, we can experience spiritual abundance when we turn away from the choices of others and collectively fix our eyes on Christ. I actually want to... I want to leave it with uh, one more text from Hebrews. I know some of you know this text very well. So this had become, when Hebrews was written, this had become you know, part of just how to live out the Christian faith. And this is uh, subtitled, The Example of Jesus, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, the narrow road. doesn't say that I added that. Look into Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of joy, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Friends, we can, we can continue on. We can find delight in Jesus, even now, no matter how difficult our struggles. May we support and encourage and affirm one another in our pursuit of Christ. Amen.